0: This is a WTOP original podcast.
1: Welcome to the Vine Guy. In this part two episode, I have the absolute pleasure of being rejoined by Christy Coors Facelli, and now her husband, Dave. Now, for those of you who haven't heard part one, I'll just give you a very brief bio on Christy. As you could tell from... Her middle name, Coors, she is the great-great-granddaughter of Colorado beverage pioneer Adolph Coors. And she was raised in a family that's always put a premium on realizing her dreams through vision, dedication, and hard work. Now, you would think that Christy would go into the beer business, but she actually went to Modesto, California, and started working for Gallo, where she learned the basics of production, distribution, promotion, and sales in a family business environment. But probably most importantly, that's where she also met her future husband, Dave who who is a wine industry executive. So we are now joined in the podcast by Dave. And he's always been driven towards an entrepreneurial path himself. For most of the past two decades, he's had the good fortune of working with great brands and wineries in California and internationally. His experience spans both corporate and entrepreneurial roles in marketing, strategy, sales, production, general management, and leadership. And most recently, Dave served as general manager overseeing production for Jackson Family Wines, Napa County and Canaros Wineries, including a large Napa Green Certified Winery and the company's most water-efficient winery. While Dave continues to seek out professional challenges, Ruth always leads back to his two passions, building the family business and expressive single vineyard wines, which we will definitely get to a little later in the podcast. These two loves find common ground with the Selly Wine family business, Cellar D Wines, Dave is currently focusing on the family's boutique wine brands and vineyards, including the single vineyard-designated Oakville, California brand, C. Elizabeth. While not tending to the family business, Dave can be found volunteering his time working with Napa County and his neighbors to bring greater access to Napa's Recycled Water Program. Dave is an active supporter of St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and the Alzheimer's Association. He also serves on several wine and business advisory boards. This is a busy guy. Outside of work, he enjoys spending time with his family, of course, writing, playing sports, and can often be found coaching his kids' lacrosse and basketball teams. Dave lives in Napa County with his wonderful wife and business partner, Christy, son, Luke, daughter, Lucy, and of course, the family dog, Tuck. Dave, it is such a great pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Christy, welcome back. Good to see you again. So Dave, that's a, that's a heck of a, a, an introduction. I,
0: yeah. You're, you're a very, very busy guy. I'm, I'm just really lucky. You know, I, Christy allows me to be able to pursue a lot of different things that are of interest to me professionally and personally. And in doing so, we both are always kind of trying to give back to the places and the things that have given so much to us. Well, to that end, and I, and I didn't, really touch on this in
1: your introduction, but I I see that you are also very dedicated to water conservation, including serving on Napa County's Groundwater Sustainability Advisory Committee. What is your interest in in this? I'm I'm just curious what's going on in Napa Valley.
0: Well, you know, I grew up in, in the Midwest where specifically I grew up in the middle of all the Great Lakes in Michigan and water I always took for granted until I started moving west And the further west I got, the more I realized water was uh, in no way to be taken for granted. And it was as precious as gold, especially when you come out to these parts. Being an agricultural community like Napa County, water is just essential for everything that we do. And I just felt like we have gained so much from the land here in Napa that we need to give back to each other, but also to the generations that come after us. So that's really where a lot of my passion for this comes from. Uh, Secondarily, about five years ago, we moved across town over into the east side of Napa and water on the east side of Napa is even more scarce. And it's such a precious resource that we, we being Christy and I, our neighbors, uh, people in the industry are just banding together to try to not only solve today's problems, but hopefully put a program together that allows us to have water for generations. So
1: Dave, when we talk about the sustainability program for water, are we talking about residential water? Are we talking about agricultural water? Are we talking about both?
0: Sure. We're talking about both. You know, we focus more on the groundwater side of things rather than surface water, only because groundwater is really what drives a lot of the agricultural uh, and residential water here in Napa. So that it's, it's really all of it. It's all tied together. And, you know, obviously, if we can find better solutions for agricultural water, then we in turn really bolster the residential water uh, supply side of things.
1: And, and how has climate change or the recent fires in California, has that all affected the work that you're doing?
0: It, I think it just dovetails with what we already were working on in the sense that there are so many different factors that affect groundwater uh, from usage to climate change to just uh, uh, geography, different aspects, and all these different factors play a part in it so we are really focusing on the usage side of it because we obviously all have a direct uh, link to being able to affect the usage side of groundwater.
1: Well, I applaud your efforts. That's that's absolutely wonderful. I also applaud your efforts uh, in marrying such a wonderful woman uh, as, <laughs> as Christy. Now I do know I do know Christy's story, but tell me a little bit about your story. I'm very interested about this long-held dream that you've had. Uh, with the family winery.
0: Sure. Back when we met at Gallo, we actually kind of went our separate ways for a little while, not relationship-wise, but geographically. Christy ended up pursuing her graduate degree back in Denver, and I ended up moving on from Gallo to Berenger Blass Foster's in the Bay Area. And when Christy came back, we got married And we were both working pretty hard in the uh, alcohol beverage space. And we had great jobs with with great companies, but they were, it was very career driven. It it felt very much like we were sort of chasing the carrot in a lot of ways. And so to oversimplify it a little bit, one night we're at dinner and we just said, you know, when we tell people what we do, if you're sitting on an airplane, or if you're at home with friends, they're all envious of, in general, of what we do. We're, oh, you're in the wine industry, that's, so, that's got to be so glamorous, so fulfilling. And the fact of the matter is, although we really appreciated the roles that we had and the companies where we worked, it was, they were just jobs. And it didn't feel the same way people would parrot back to me what we were doing. And I wanted to feel that way. I wanted the feeling that we had to match what we were doing. We knew we were incredibly fortunate to be living in the Napa Valley, newly uh, newly married, and we just wanted to really find a way to capture the greatest pieces of what we had living here. And we thought the best way to do that was really through wine and kind of wine on our terms, for us, for our friends, for the people we loved.
1: Well, Dave, I feel your pain because I've actually been on airplanes when people ask me what I do, <laughs> and as you know, what my day job is, they usually end up changing seats. So, <laughs> so, so tell me about the partnership that you have going on right now with with Bill Nencaro, the uh, the winemaker, of course, over at Goose Cross. But there's this evidently there's this project that you've got with an exceptional vineyard. I think it's called. Game farm. Do I have that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: So Bill is the kind of guy you say, I want to do this. And he goes and does it and he makes that happen. And Dave and I had talked about this project of Sea Elizabeth, um, which is the brand we're talking about today for 15 years, 16 years. Um, and we had talked about it. We had thought about it. We had played around with some things and we were telling Bill about it. He's like, I've got it. I know exactly where we need to go. And he brought us over to the game farm vineyard and the plot, the block of land that he was having us um, potentially get our grapes from was called the rock pile. And this plot of land is its own little wonderland. I mean, it's amazing. There is absolutely zero dirt over there. It is all rocks and boulders and rocks and boulders. When we have a big rain year and you have the cover crop going through the, the rows of the vineyards, there's nothing there. I mean, there's maybe a few little, few little sprouts, but there's nothing. And, but the, the vines are about 25 years old. Um, they've got deep-seated <clears> roots and they just get these amazing flavors from the wine. So we went out to lunch with Alex Viborny, who owns the vineyard, and we, he brought one of the bottles of wine from that block of land and we were just awed by it. I mean, it was fantastic. And we said, we can make wine from this vineyard. And that was how it all began.
1: So this was a dream you had even before Goose Cross? Yes. Wow. And I should probably back up and say that Bill Nancaro, your winemaker at Goose Cross, uh, was formerly at Duckhorn and also at Paradox. And as you so affectionately referred to him in the last podcast, it's Duck Duck Goose.
2: Correct.
1: Does he mind that nickname? I'm just curious.
2: Yes, he does. (laughs) He's
0: He's got a good sense
2: of humor. Right. Well,
1: he's a Kiwi, so he has to. There you go. So you said the C. Elizabeth brand. What is that? Is that an homage to someone in particular?
2: It is. So I'm C. Elizabeth. So my middle name's Elizabeth. Um, My mom's middle name is Elizabeth. My grandmother was Elizabeth. And my daughter's name is Elizabeth, even though we call her Lucy. And these four women in our lives are headstrong, kind of pain in the butts. Yeah, I've met you. (laughs) Just yeah. But so is this wine. And so we decided we wanted to make a wine for for us, for our friends, for our family that we loved, that we were passionate about, and name it after the Elizabeths in our lives.
0: We it was it was important that this was a generational project. We wanted to do something that we hoped our children would want to be involved in. Obviously they're gonna make up their own minds as they get older, but in order to represent that strength and tradition, we wanted to have generations. And so the four Elizabeth's are four generations of Elizabeth's. And the idea for us was that this was a pursuit more than a destination. And there's a one of the most prominent creative pieces of the label is the backwards E, the second E in Elizabeth. And the reason for that Uh, is, isn't just to draw your attention, but it's actually sort of our guiding value that it's humility, you know, as proud as we are of our wines, we always want to remind ourselves that there's always, you can always strive more. You can always keep going. And just when you think you've done everything perfectly, we look up at that backwards E to remind us, keep going. That is
1: awesome. I love that whole concept and uh, that label. I w- I would love to see it some one of these days. I I know you could hold it up for me now. I wish our audience could see it. Look at that. That's very cool. That is very cool. I, I love how that is kind of embossed, and then you have the the backward e there. Thank you. Uh, can we go back for a second though? I want to talk a little bit more about this rock pit <laughs> because yeah. a lot of people don't understand that you can't grow. Vine, you can't grow grapes without dirt, and you had mentioned there's very little soil involved here. It's really uh, characterized by rocky, uh, more more rocks than soil, mm-hmm. and and I'm if you just could spend a moment talking about. It. Sometimes we assume that our listeners know everything that we know, and I think it'd be if you could just spend a minute talking about how the vines actually go pretty deep to get literally stressed out and produce right. fruit.
0: Yeah, the, the really cool thing in my opinion of, of this site, and I you know, we've been in the industry for a long time and we were blown away by the site as well, because as you know, many vineyards are various combinations of soil profiles, rocks and soil. This this is very low soil content, very high rock content. It was a it was formerly a creek bed and it's right next to the Rector Creek Dam. So you have these traits that you would see on like a river bottom and the vines love it because once they are able to, they'll keep searching for water. And when they hit the water table, they be, you know, they become happier. And so they, but they like being stressed to, they like working hard to find it. And once again, you know, metaphorically, we thought it was the perfect vineyard for us because it's kind of a blue collar, hardworking vineyard. And that's what we want to embody with what we do. So it, to see the vineyard, it looks like something out of, out of Southern Rhone. Uh, it looks like an old European, uh, uh, rock soil structure. And it is very, very low on, you know, the, the super high nutrient soil, which is great for growing really complex, really nuanced grapes. And we were, we couldn't be more pleased with, with the rock pit. So, how does that stress translate into
1: premium fruit? I'm just curious.
0: I'd say the best the best word I can think of is intensity of flavor, uh, intensity and depth. Because when if you're constantly if you have incredibly incredibly rich soil, like you might want to grow corn or something else uh, a crop in. If you do that with grapes, you can end up with almost like a table grape type structure because if they don't have to work that hard, they don't build up a lot of the different uh, ac- acidic traits that you want in your grape. They don't build up a lot of the aromatics and flavor profile. They become, frankly, somewhat diluted, if to, for lack of a better word. So when you have that stress, you end up seeing those berries that you – grow used to seeing when you live in places like this, where it's not like the big table grapes, but they're these intense little firm berries. And those are emblematic of really, I think the stress that a lot of that plant's going through. It, it's stress that the plant thrives in, you know, it's different than the kind of stress you might get from a, a plant or a vine that's under duress, where it, it's, uh, it's dying. These aren't dying, they're thriving. They want to work. And the more they work, the more we, we prune back all the extra foliage and things of that nature so that the water that is there and the nutrients that are there are concentrated on the fruit. They're not going into building a huge canopy necessarily. Okay. They're going into the fruit. And so that's really how it works out. It's a great balance of, of nature. So these vines thrive under stress. It sounds a lot like my marriage.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, honey. Uh, so you have this beautiful, intense fruit. Take me through what you do with it in the winery.
3: You know,
2: Bill's style of winemaking is don't mess with it too much. Um, and, I, and I love that is he, he wants the wine to taste like it's supposed to. He wants Cabernet to taste like Cabernet is supposed to taste. He wants Pinot to taste like Pinot is supposed to taste. So he has a very gentle hand in the in the winemaking process. He also, when we're pressing the wine after fermentation, where you're pressing the last bits of juice out of the grapes, he does does two presses. He does a very gentle press and then a medium press. So he's not extracting too many tannins, which are kind of the chalky things that hit you in the back of the mouth. Um, And he he tries to just make it so the wine tastes like the wine and he doesn't mess with it too much. The interesting thing that we do that not a lot of people in Napa Valley do is we use American oak. What? American oak. You said
1: American oak, not French oak.
2: Not French oak. We use 100% American oak. Um, Not all of that is new. Some of it it is um, neutral oak. And it was actually Bill's first time working with American oak. So we've had some trials and tribulations and trying to figure out exactly the right places to get American oak. And which ones are going to work for us? Um, I think the the one winery that I know of that uses American oak in a big way is Silver Oak. They're a big American oak user. Um, but it was just something we tried a wine. We were in Galena, Illinois. Yeah, we were in Galena, Illinois, and we had this wine. And I swear to God, I don't remember the name, but I remember there was a rabbit on it.
0: And it yeah, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it Paul. wasn't Rabbit Ridge. It wasn't uh, Rabbit Ridge. It, it was it
2: And I can't remember the name of it. And it was so good. And when I'm reading the back label, it talked about American Oak. So it's like, Hey, let's try it. Let's see how we can, can do. And I think, um, Bill did a fantastic job of merging new and new and, um, third fill Oak neutral Oak to make this a wine that is some people drink it and they'll say, wow, I thought that was French Oak could never tell you that that was american oak and i think american oak's just a little underrated here in the u.s
0: well and i think it it all depends you know we this was this is a passion project and you know sadly i'll admit it's not probably the greatest business proposition because we (laughs) we don't cut corners we haven't taken any shortcuts and we're we're not really efficient with how we do this We're, we're not that's not our interest right now. Our interest is to getting this right. And in doing so, you know, you have to kind of kiss a lot of frogs and we decided that we looked at both French and American Oak. We, it wasn't that, okay, we're going to do American Oak and that's what we're going to do. We wanted to do what was best for the grapes in this vineyard to produce the wine that we were trying to produce. Most of our background had been with French Oak, yeah, of course, which is fantastic. and, yeah. and, you know globally respected as we started to go down this american oak path and realize there was some real wide differences in the style that was expressed from these various cooperages and from various regions you know we i I always tell people that you know we do this is a micro lot cabernet but we have a ridiculous barrel program that we do and it's as i said it's bad business but it's good for wine And it's fun for Bill, I think as well, because we truly, we we create a playground where we can try multiple different blends that are coming out of different barrels. So what I think we've learned over the years, different cooperages, different techniques. We use a lot of water bent uh, staves now. We use uh, primarily some of the tighter poured oak. Uh, A lot of it's coming from Pennsylvania. But we've gone through, we've looked at Missouri, Pennsylvania, Minnesota. We've we've looked at cooperages and regions from all over. It's been a real learning and a lot of fun. And the differences, I would say, from uh, one barrel type to another in American oak is far greater than my experience of the differences with various French. French are a little more tighter correlated, I would say in my experience where the American barrels are all over the place. So you really have to hone in on what you want and vintage after vintage, we keep just tightening up our barrel regime and it does change too, because you know, with terroir and with different vintages, they sometimes require a barrel that we didn't use in 15, but maybe we'll use it in 17 because it works better with the, what nature gave us type thing, but that's the approach.
1: Somebody once told me, and by the way, I did not mean to sound so surprised that you were Amer- using American oak on this project right. because That's I just it. usually associate American oak more with say the Australian style of of wines that they're, they're using a lot of American oak down there. Uh, but it is wonderful to hear that you are experimenting with American oak. And somebody once told me that oak is a lot like salt. There's a lot of different salts, right? You've got pink salt and sea salt and, uh you know mediterranean salt and it's just interesting to hear how you're using american oak like salt you're you're being very careful in, in this program and i just i i can't wait to try this wine myself now you mentioned that this was a microsite how much wine are you actually producing from the rock pit
0: D- depending on the vintage we usually end up bringing in equivalent of 5 or 600 cases of wine but we blend it we have a rigorous blending program and we usually end up with 150 to 200 cases of wine and then we and a lot of the wines that get kicked out are really beautiful but we we sell them on the market we don't bottle them we just get rid of them and we focus on what we with the blend program that we end up with
1: Okay, you two. That really is a passion project.
2: Yeah, <laughs> told you. are <laughs> a little crazy.
1: Well, you know, I'm I'm sure the proof is in the pudding. And before we get into the pudding, by the way, our, my favorite part of the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about how you're giving back as as part of the community. I know that you two are a wonderful couple. You fell in love in California, and you've fallen in love with Napa Valley. But you really have a great sense of community there.
2: Yeah. And you know what? That's, again, why we fell in love with Napa and why we always wanted to live here is because of the sense of community. And we came to Napa in 2013 for our second trip to Napa. Our first trip was 2002 to 2005. And in 2014, we had the earthquake here in Napa. Mm -hmm. Um, Our first
0: vintage of Sealers.
2: Perfect timing right after the earthquake and then in 17 we had fires 18 we had fires 19 we had fires 20 we had fires and you know Dave and I have always been raised both of our parents were very very much gave back to the community and to those in need and Dave and I have grown up in that in that era and we determined we picked our 2017 vintage the great we picked the grapes off the vine the friday before the fires hit Napa in 2017 on sunday night so we were very lucky to get the grapes in. They had been processed and they were sitting in a tank fermenting. We figured after 2020, and what a tough fire year this has been, it would be a great honor for us to give back a portion of our sales to Fire Relief in Napa.
1: That's amazing. So uh, is that the Sea Elizabeth that you're giving the, the proceeds yeah. back from Sea uh, Elizabeth?
0: Specifically, we're going to be launching the 2017 Vintage coincidentally uh, very soon. And because of the stories associated with that vintage, that's really the first kind of firestorms that hit Napa County and really had a profound impact on us and many, many people that we know and many people we don't know. We've, we felt that that vintage, and it's, it's a great wine in our humble opinion, uh, we felt that was a great vintage to be able to say, Thank you, and show gratitude to everyone here. You know we're coming out of this fire season, and we're gonna, as we launch this this brand, this vintage, we are going to give back a a big chunk of anything that comes in.
1: Commendable, but knowing both of you, not surprising. (laughs) Thank thank you. you. Thank you. Now it's time to actually find out what these wines taste like. In my favorite part of the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> What's well, in your glass? So I understand we're starting off with the inaugural See Elizabeth, the 2014, is that right?
2: Yes. Correct. So today we're going to taste the 2014, which is our first vintage, and the 2017, which is our about-to-be-released vintage. Oh, cool. And same same vineyard, different barrel program, but it's it's fascinating to me to see the difference between these two wines. Um, in 2014, as I said, Bill was first using American oak. So he was trying a little bit of everything. We, I think we had 10 barrels total of wine and we had 10 different barrels from different um, cooperages. And we tried to pick the best of the best. And as we've gone from, from 14 all the way through, well, we just bottled the 18 we have refined the barrel program. And so each of our vintages will taste different throughout because we're still tweaking and playing with different vintages or different the, cooperages.
0: And the other, the other impact that's gonna be different on these two wines is that after 2014, we also introduced a second block within Game Farm that sometimes we blend in, sometimes we don't, it depends on the year and that's called the Trail, which has some different profiles to the rock the rockier area it's still rocky but it's got a lot more uh, loam and soil mixed in so it's one more tool that we try to give bill to make the wine as special as he possibly can so 17 has some of that in it
1: so tell me what uh, what's going on with the is that the 2014 in your glass now the
2: 2014 in our glass um you know the thing i love about american oak is the the vanilla, um, and the chocolate notes. I'm a chocolate fiend. I love chocolate. Um, but the vanilla and chocolate notes that come through really on the nose, um, when you're smelling a wine from um, made with American Oak. And I think the 14 has a beautiful nose and that vanilla really comes through. And then as you get into the mouthfeel, this is a wine that still today I would decant this. You asked me last time about decanting wines. This is 2014 is a wine that I would definitely decant or leave open overnight um, because it's still very tight, even eight, six years later. But it is phenomenal. The red fruits, the berries that come through, it's velvety, it's lush. The tannins are a little bit bigger on this and they really hit you in the chalky region on the side of the tongue. But I think this is tasting phenomenal now. When we re- first released it in 2016, 20- 16 I want to say it was tight and we told everybody even writers that we sent it to to taste it we said open it the day before and it still needs a little bit of that um but I think it opens up just beautifully
0: yeah and it's the challenge of you know you make a wine that you want to be able to last for 20 or 30 years or more but you also want people to be able to enjoy relatively soon so we always tell people you know have two bottles minimum, you know, one to keep, one to drink, and try it. And even though we're about to release the 17, and each, I can honestly say 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all equally awesome to us and interesting, we're still drinking the 14 mm-hmm. because you know, that's what we're gonna drink for a while until we move to 15, even though we're releasing the 17. It's ready, 17's ready, but these wines are we're built to age. For sure. I was just going to ask you that question about the the ageability. And I
1: know that Christy and I in the last interview, we talked about some of the Goose Cross features, which is developing a wine that's ready to drink now, but also has some ageability. This wine sounds a little bit more special. This wine sounds like it's really got some ageability and that yeah. if you do decide to open it on the earlier side, you're really gonna to have to give it some uh give it some air or give it some time.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. And
1: I like how you described all four of your vintages is you love all of them, but they're all very different. Sort of like children.
0: Like it, just like children. It really is. I mean, they're, they're really different. And people always ask me, well, what's the best one? What's the best one? I can't pick because I love elements of all of them. Uh, I love the overall experience of all of them. And the only thing they have in common is really where they came from and the style. But you know, nature has such a big hand in it that we are able to have four different expressions of one style. You know, and, and I love all of my children, but there
1: are days I can pick my favorite. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say that exact same <laughs> thing. I'm like, there's definitely times I'll drink each of the different vintages and I'll have a definite favorite, just like my children. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt.
1: So tell me about the 2017.
0: One just quick side note on 17, we knew it was special About, well, I mean, interestingly, we talked about the fires post fermentation, actually in the midst of fermenting and then post fermentation, Bill and I were tasting the wine as the Valley was still, you know, smoking around us. And we both looked at each other, like, how can this all be happening around us? And we're experiencing this, what's in this glass? We knew this was an absolutely special vintage. And we were so fortunate that we're able to actually share our vintage with people. This one, this one again w- was a benefactor of really fine tuning our label program. We started using multiple types of barrels from a few cooperages. We, we had kind of worked into our favorites and this, this vintage is a big benefactor of that kind of honing of our barrel program. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact of the matter is, and I'm, I'm quite sure Bill would tell you this, The fruit was gorgeous. And, you know, our philosophy, as Christy said, is get out of its way and just try to optimize it. We're not, we don't do a whole lot of uh, monkeying around. Uh, It's pretty much what we grow is what you're getting. It's hundred percent Cabernet, which I know is pretty rare. We don't blend in any Malbec or anything for, we just want it to be the truest expression of the vineyard. And this, this wine I think is a great expression of that vintage. So express it for me. It's got the, the the difference with this versus fourteen, for example. I think there's more blue fruit characteristics starting to come through. Um, part of that's I think because of the trail vineyard that we also used in there, or uh, the trail block within Game Farm, is part of it. Part of it's just the 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 way the fruit ripened, the aromatics expressed itself. But it's it it tastes very unique to me. Yeah. And it started, it, it's, as I look at 18 and 19, it's a path that the brand has sort of, the style has started to, to take to some degree. It's a little more kind of Valley mountain feel, even though this is a, a Oakville South Southern Oakville vineyard, it's, it's a, you know, rock bed, flat vineyard. It's got a lot, a lot of interesting cues and nuances in it.
2: I also think, you know, I did a tasting on this with Bill on Friday, as we were thinking about launching this wine. I was like, oh, I've got to write some tasting notes. And he said, do you taste the blood orange in it? And I was like, never thought about blood orange and wine. And, you know, I swirled it and I sipped it. and I was like, you know it's the power of suggestion so yes i definitely got the blood orange but that was a fantastic description of this from the the winemaker because you get that acidity of the blood orange but also the sweetness and the beauty that comes from that interesting fruit
0: from 14 to 17 you definitely get a lot of the the violet red fruit pieces with the white pepper you know and then the some of the subtle vanilla notes there's a lot you can tell. You can tell they're siblings, but they're very different siblings in a lot of ways.
1: <laughs> That's a great description. Just uh, out of curiosity, what's the alcohol running on uh, on these wines?
2: They're both about fourteen point five. Okay, wow. Um, so so nice, perfect, right yeah, in those. right center
1: of the bell curve there.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, awesome.
2: Bill manages that very well. I mean, he will go out in the vineyard specifically for the Sea Elizabeth, and he will. Test the wines and the sugar level on this vineyard at least once a week during the growing season, just to make sure we're picking it at the perfect time. So he's not only t- tasting the sugar sh- or testing the sugars, but he's also testing the viability of the grapes and how the flavors are coming through. and And he'll chew on the skins a little bit to make sure it's got all that ripeness that he needs.
0: Yeah, and we get. I, I think you know one other area to that point where I would tip my hat to Bill a lot is. He's very involved in wine grape growing, not just in making wine. And so he spends a lot of time in that vineyard and other vineyards you know, here at Goose Cross Vineyards. And I think the way he calls picks, you know, I, as much as winemakers, I, I would judge winemakers on their blending ability and their, when they call picks. And usually that's how much time they spend in the vineyard because they actually understand what's happening. And in, within Game Farm, there are other wineries that have have rows in there, and we we're not the longest in there. Uh, to you know, we don't just keep hanging around like some people do. And I understand that's the what they're looking for, but we want to have a balance. We want to have a good acid balance. We want to have those tannins. We want to have the titratable acidity so we can age these wines as well. And Bill just does a magnificent job that I a lot of this, I don't think it's, you can learn in a school. I mean, I think a lot of this is just him really, you know, learning the trade in the vineyard and it shows.
1: Dave, I'm so glad you brought that up. I think one of the most underappreciated assets for a a winemaker is really the amount of time they spend in the vineyard Uh because it does come through in the wines because they're really understanding, you know, the, The genesis of the grapes and when they're ready, and and then what they can do with that in the winery. So thanks for bringing that up. That's that's a great, great thing. Since we are talking about this Sea Elizabeth, the two thousand and seventeen Sea Elizabeth, and giving back to the first responders, um, if somebody's interested in getting a bottle of the Sea Elizabeth, a how do they do it? B how much is it? Because I'm sure people will be very interested in obtaining this wine, knowing that you're giving back to the community.
2: Yeah. So um, it's not quite yet on our website, but it will be shortly. Um, the 2017, it's Um, So C as in California. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the letter C.
2: <laughs> Elizabeth with a Z. Um, and you don't have to do the backward Z. Um, Elizabeth.com and um, there's a shop page there that you can purchase the wines The Sea Elizabeth is 150 dollars the 2017 vintage is 150 dollars and we're giving 50 percent of all revenue all dollar sales back to fire relief
1: That's wonderful uh, that is just uh, I, again I applaud both of you this is a while it is a passion project it's also a passion that shows your commitment to the community. So Thank you. Hats we off.
2: love Napa and we love this community and we want to do everything we can to help it thrive.
1: It absolutely shows. And you know what else shows is the wonderful enthusiasm that came through on this interview. Both of you are just uh, a wonderful couple. And I hey, can't Scott, tell nice you, talking with
2: you. He geeks out a little <laughs> bit more than I do. It
0: was
1: great. And I can't thank you enough for spending the time with me
0: today.
2: Well, thanks so much, Scott. We hey, appreciate
1: Scott, being It's here.
0: awesome to meet you and look forward to more interactions over the years. Can't wait to show up in person one of these days. Me Anytime. That'll do it for this
1: Part two episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. This episode was produced by Sarah Beth Hensley. And the music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and catch my Wine of the Week shows every Friday on WTOP and WTOP.com. And until the next time, be just like Dave and Christy and do good and drink well.